Welcome back, everyone, to another segment of Rabbi Jeff Spooky Avashir, where we attempt to understand the meaning behind the instructions of our sages and how it's relevant to our lives today. We do this, of course, using the thoughts of our teachers before us and try to make them applicable to our times. Feel free, please, to contact me with any comments or questions at rjfromlj at aol.com. Today's Mishnah is Perak Aleph, Mishnah Vav, Chapter 1, Mishnah 6. Because there's an, there's an, an important issue that we have to deal with today. Yeshua ben Prachim, Yenita Arbeli, Kibu Mehem, they received from them. Yeshua ben Prachim, Yoimer, Yeshua ben Prachim says, make for yourself a rabbi. And we said that you have to make yourself rabbiable. In other words, you have to make yourself into a Talmud. You have to make yourself into a student. And that's how you make, that's how you make a teacher. It's not just, you know, it sounds a little bit like, almost like a, like a guy with a kind of thing, like I'm going to choose my rabbi. As, as much as you choose the person you want to do that to, you also have to make yourself rabbiable. Right? You got to make yourself teachable. And then, you have to acquire a friend, and you have to, you have to buy a friend. To buy a friend means you have to make an investment in a friendship. And you have to give everybody the benefit of the doubt. And we said that these are the three relationships, relationships with people that are above you, relationships with people that are your peers, and relationships with people that, and we're not judging putting them below you, but the people that have um, different life circumstances, which would sometimes feel that they are, they, they are not in the same place as you, the way to deal with all those relationships are okay, that concept is a very major Jewish concept. The way we deal with giving people the benefit of the doubt is that we put it, we relegate it into a place called Amidus Chasidus. We assume that what it is, it's an act of piety. I'm a nice guy to give you the benefit of the doubt. I don't really have to. You just did something wrong to me. I'm, I'm, I am sure that what you did was something sinister and bad. And, uh, and therefore, I'm going to, you know, I have to look at it that way. But I don't want to be a person that's always negative, so therefore I'm going to give you the benefit of that. That's the way we look at it. That we're doing, we're doing really, mamish stepping outside of ourselves. My initial gut reaction is, is that you did something bad. And, and it's not even a gut reaction. You did something bad to me. I'll give you an example. There was a, there was a, I can give you many examples. But I'll tell you a beautiful story. There was a fellow who, um, who made a chasana. And he was a, a fellow living in a, in a neighborhood where everybody was in difficult times and difficult straits. This guy was in particularly difficult times. And when, he, when his child got engaged and everybody knew that he was making a chasna, so everybody knew that this guy would never be, even be able to afford, forget about you know, buying an apartment for his kids and doing the things he had to do in Eretz Yisrael, they knew that the guy was never going to be able to afford just to make the simplest, simplest, simplest chasna. So people collected in the neighborhood, they collected money and they gave him they gave him a, a wad of money, hoping that at least with a little bit that he had and a little bit that they had, and we're talking about people that were in the same kind of financial situation as him, they would hope that putting it together, they would be able to make the chasna. This guy goes to the wedding hall, and he goes into the office in the wedding hall, and he's meeting with the caterer, and he, okay, they, they come to an agreement, what the, what the chasna is going to look like, very simple, very meager, right? You know, they're going to leave the hair on the chicken, like the whole thing, they're off the worry. It's going to be a very, a very simple affair. So in the conversation, when they're starting to write down the particulars, he asks him what his name was, and he tells him his name. He says, who's your father? So he tells him his father's name. He says, was he from a certain city in Europe? And he said, yes. And the caterer breaks down. And the caterer says, you're not going to believe this. He says, your father. And he tells him a story that they were standing on a line and that they were standing in a concentration camp. 
and in the line they were being the, the 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 his father got confused and he stepped into the wrong line and this guy stuck his hand out and pulled him back and put him in the right line to make sure that he would go lechayim and he said i was always i was always indebted to your father and I, I never knew i never knew what happened to him he said no my father you know obviously he made it through the war and came here to benebrak and you know i'm his son Caterer said, wow, I have such a cross at Toiv. You don't have to pay a thing for this chasna. I'm going to take care of it. Guy says, no, no, I have money. No, you don't have to worry. Guy says, no. He says, I'm going to, I'm going to take care of the chasna. They come in the night of the chasna, and it could have been that one of Rockefeller's kids was getting married. The place was decked out. The place was made up. It was beautiful. The finest of things that this caterer had, he put out. The food was unbelievable. It was just, it was an incredible event. But imagine the neighbors. The, the, oh, and the caterer told the fellow, but don't tell anybody. This is just something that I want to do for you. Nobody has to know where it comes from. Fellow, they, they come into the chasna. Imagine how the neighbors feel. We gave our bottom dollars. We mamish collected for this guy that he should have a chasna, that he should be able to make a meager wedding. And look what the guy spends his money on. Look what he wastes his money on. What a chutzpah. And the whole community was buzzing, was so upset that this guy doesn't understand the priorities of money, that he would spend the money like this. And it was a very, very difficult situation. The guy went and asked the Shiloh to his Rav, was he allowed to tell the people what really happened? It happens to be that the Rav Paskin that he was allowed to tell them. But imagine how they felt now when they found out that they had assumed that this guy had done something wrong, when really what had happened was that they were witness to, one, to a miracle and that they were witness to Hakaras Hatov, to somebody showing gratitude to another human being. We, we look at this concept of giving the benefit of the doubt as we look at it as being, like I say, a midas chasidus. It's a kind, pious thing to do that we're stepping outside of, of our limitations and we're being nicer. No. It's an understanding that we do not understand the thing that we're looking at. We think we're looking at one thing and we're looking at something else. Did you ever take a look at these um, optical illusions? I happen to love optical illusions. I think they're so fascinating. You know, there's an artist, Escher, and you, you see he's, he, he has such, such brilliant work and that some of the things that Escher does, one of his famous works is a staircase, a series of staircases. And if you look at it in one perspective, the staircases are going up. And then if you look at it again, the staircases are going down. And you see that they're up and down on the going to the same surface and the whole thing is so incredible that what you're looking at is not really what you're looking at. Every single optical illusion is that way. The famous one of the lady, when you look at it and you see a lady, a, a, per, a person in a hat, and then you see a potato or some other kind of thing, and if you look at it from another perspective, nothing is the way you see it. And that's what giving somebody the benefit of that is the realization that what you think you're looking at, you're not looking at, you're not doing an act of piety. What you're doing is an act of sanity. And that you're recognizing that I'm looking at it actually the way it is. The way it is, is not the way it appears. There's something deeper than this. So the benefit of the doubt is not, I see the reality, and now I'm going to change that reality and assume that it was really this. 
It's I'm going to look at what I thought was reality, realize that's not reality, and the reality is somewhere behind what was actually happening. <clears throat> Where does this come from, this idea of, of, of judging favorably? So this is not an act of piety. It's actually, according to many Rishonim, a commandment in the Torah. The Torah says, B'tzedek in Vayikra, in Parshas Kedoshim, the Torah tells us, B'tzedek tishpayit nesamisach, that with, with um, tzedek, with righteousness, you have to judge your fellow Jew. Now, on the one hand, the Gemara Darshans, the Gemara expounds that this is talking about judges, and that judges have to make sure that when they give a judgment, it has to be done in an absolute pure kind of way. B'tzedek tishpayit amitacha. The same as tzedek, tzedek tirdof that when you judge, you have to judge out of righteousness. You have to make sure that you know all the facts, you have to make sure you know everything, and that you have to be exacting in your judgment, and you have to be very honest in the way you assess a situation. Then there are those rabbis that understand that Tzedek Tish is not talking to the judges, but Tzedek Tish is talking to you and I. And it's saying that Tzedek, with righteousness, you have to look at other people, which means that you have to give them the benefit of the doubt. Now, if you stop and think, and the Rishonim asked this question, if you stop and think, there is a terrible contradiction here between the two pshatim, between the two understandings, the two explanations of our sages. On the one hand, our sages are saying, B'tzedek tishpot amitecha means you have to be exact. You have to look at it in an exacting kind of way. You have to judge with righteousness. Righteousness is black and white. It's exacting. Chasidus, piety, that's one step beyond. But righteousness is exacting. And B'tzedek tishpot amitecha. And yet, in the same breath, we're being told, oh no, what it means is that you have, to, you have to give the benefit of the doubt. And you actually don't go by the facts and don't go by the exactitude. You have to be much more open. How could you have a Pusik in the Torah that has such diverse and diametric obligations and both of them are halacha? In other words, both of them are seen as the law that emerges from that Pusik. It's, too, it's a law that seems to be demanding of us two completely different things. On the one hand, we're being demanded to be black and white and rigid. On the other hand, we're demanded to be open-minded and, and much more liberal. How can that, the same words, be demanding, of, be demanding that of us? So Psham Shemfal Hirsch gives a very, very beautiful and important understanding. What Psham Shemfal Hirsch says is, is that the way you are meant to look, that, that, that what you're being asked to do in those two scenarios the scenario where you're judging as a judge and where you're judging as a person, you're judging two completely different things. When you're judging in a court, you're judging the act, not the actor. When you're judging in life, you're judging the actor, not the act. In court, when I'm looking at it, I'm looking at what you did, what you did, what was done, that's the act, it's black and white. It was this or it was that. It was good, it was bad, it was right, it was wrong, it was just, it was unjust, it was permissible, it was prohibited. Those are the, those are the parameters of the way I have to judge it. But when I'm judging in life, it doesn't matter whether it was right or it was wrong. What matters is, was the person who did it, were they doing it in the right way or not doing it in the right way? You know, there's an amazing thing. We will talk at some point later in the Mishnayis about the concept of a lie that is, that is permissible. There are times in the Torah that it's permissible to lie in a general sense to keep shalom bayis, to keep peace in the house. Now, that has to be understood in a very deep halachic sense. There are parameters to what that means. But conceptually, what it means is, is that you are allowed to lie 
in order to be able for the larger good, in order to be able to keep peace. How could that possibly be possible? How could it be possible that we're allowed to do something that is so totally prohibited and that the Torah tells us, when it tells us not to lie, it doesn't say don't lie. Like it says, you know, don't break shops. It doesn't say don't lie. It says, it says, um, it says, um, one more time, that we, have to, that we have to completely remove ourselves from from words of lies, we have to remove ourselves, distance ourselves. That's much worse than just saying don't lie. It's saying that we have to completely separate ourselves from lies. How is it possible then that it could be possible that we could be Mishana Esa Emes for Shalom, that we're allowed to change the truth for peace? Because the truth is that what, what, we're, what we're being asked to do is that we're not being asked to change the truth. We're being t- we're asked to recognize the truth in a situation. And, and let me explain. You look at a fat person. A person, there's a, a weight a person's supposed to be at. And a person is 100 pounds over that weight. Are they a fat person? Absolutely, it's the truth. If you tell them that they're a fat person, is that the truth in that situation? Now, if you're trying to, if you're the doctor and you're telling them that if they don't take care of themselves, they're going to die, that might be something else. But in most situations, to, expo- to say that to them, to, to, to say to them that they're fat is actually a lie in the sense that it's a sheker. It's not the emes. It's not the truth. Meaning that what it's going to do is going to destroy them. And that the truth in this situation is actually the lie, is actually the wrong thing. It's not, not in every situation is what we call MS, the MS. In many situations, the MS is actually the Sheker. Because even though the fact might be true, but the devastating effects that it has on another person, that, that creates, why do I say not true? Because it creates a reality in this person's life that is not true. A false reality is called a Sheker. And therefore, you're destroying their reality, which is their comfortability with themselves, and creating a false reality, which is that they are worthless, and therefore, what you thought was emes is actually sheker. What the Torah is asking us to do in certain situations is to look at what the emes in that situation is. That's the way we look at people. The way we judge people is we look, what is the emes here? For this situation, for this person, what's the MS? And in that, we now take a different perspective and we see another MS. Not what appears to us in the facts, that's for a courtroom, but what appears in the reality of the situation, and that's the way we judge each other. Beautiful. I want to stop here and just ask the question, Rabbi, how can you say that we judge people? The whole premise is off. How are we allowed to judge and here I want to tell you an important thing. We are obligated to judge. Every time in the Torah, when the Torah talks about judges, every time in Pirkei when Pirkei and we'll see this in the next, another two Mishnayas, when it talks about judges, it's not talking about judges in the courtroom only. It's talking to us because in our capacity as human beings, citizens of the world, we have to judge. We have to judge situations that are good for us or not good for us. We have to judge situations that are going to bring us forward or not bring us forward. We have to judge relationships. Is this the relationship for me or not the relationship for me? When we, when we connected with our spouses, we connected with our friends, we connect with them because we have judged. 
Now, we might not have sat there with a piece of paper and done pros and cons, but in our minds, certainly, we have judged. We have looked at this and said, is this beneficial to me? In any situation, you're doing that. Right? You come to a class and you, and you decide to come back a second time. You're making a judgment. You're making a call. You're looking at it and you are discerning. You're making a judgment. That is something that we are obligated to do all the time. I, we live in a world that says, stop judging, stop judging me. It's not a good thing to judge. No, no. What it means is, is that there's a difference between judging and being judgmental. Judging is deciding, is this good for me or not good for me? Judgmental is, are you good or are you not good? Being judgmental, never a good thing. I don't need to stay away from you based on whether you're a good person or not. I need to stay away from you based on whether this is a good relationship for me or not a good relationship for me. I don't need to decide that you're not a good person. I don't need to decide you're a schlechter. I could just say that you and I, and me being around you, it's not beneficial for me. It's not going to bring me forward. And in that way, I'm judging, but I'm not being judgmental. I'm not putting you down. I'm not deciding that you are no good just because I'm not comfortable with you. I'm looking at it and saying, I'm not comfortable, but that's about me. It's not about you. Judging is critical. Being judgmental, that's something that we have to stay away from. We said yesterday, and this is, you'll see this all over Chazal, that if a person judges favorably, then God is going to judge them favorably. And we said, what does that mean? God knows everything. There's no such thing as judging favorably. God doesn't have to look at us and say, hmm, I wonder why you did that. God doesn't, doesn't judge. He doesn't wonder. He doesn't scratch his head ever, right, and say, hmm, I wonder why that person did that. He knows because he had something to do with it. So if that's the case, what does it mean that if you give somebody the benefit of the doubt, God's going to give you the benefit of the doubt? So I'll tell you a very beautiful thing. You know, <clears throat> when you get... Um, Microsoft Outlook, and I'm only saying the uh, Microsoft Outlook because I'm not touting a product. It just happens to be that I did this when I got my Microsoft Outlook. That there's a there's a panel on the side. You go to a you go to a button, and you can set up the Microsoft Outlook to operate the way you want it to operate. You can receive your mail this way. You can line up your mail this way. You can go from ascending order, descending order, newest ones, oldest ones. You can have this in the foreground, this in the background. You can have your signature on it. You set up the way you want to receive your mail, the way you want to operate. You do that also on your computer. You put the colors on. You put the shapes. You put the way it wants to be. You, you have the ability to set up your environment. I'm going to tell you a peladica thing, an amazing thing. We set up our environments. The way we look at other people, the way we judge other people, that is a setup of our environment. If we want to be tight with people, that means that our environment is going to be a tight environment. And it happens to be that if you're tight with other people, then it's going to manifest itself in other areas of your life. But that's not for now either. But we have the ability to set up our environment. What God does is that he looks at us and he says, let me see how you set up your environment. Because I'm going to operate with you the way you set up your environment, the way you want it to be. The way you judge others, that's the way I'm going to judge you. It's not a punishment. It's not a punishment. And it's not that God has to give us the benefit of doubt because he doesn't know what we're doing. But he's saying, if you're going to operate, you're going to click that button on the side that says, the way I want to receive my mail is, I want to give people the benefit of doubt. So then God says, great, that's the way I'm going to judge you. I'm going to give you the benefit of doubt. But if you put a little, you know, you click that off and you say, no, no, I don't want to give people the benefit of doubt. God says, no problem, no problem. In your world, we don't give the benefit of doubt. I don't give it to you either. 
That means I'm going to be tight with you. I'm going to be exacting with you. We, by giving the benefit of the doubt, we set up the environment in which God is going to operate with us. Million dollar question. How do we get to the place of judging people favorably, of giving people the benefit of the doubt? Realizing that it's not imidas chasidus, it's not merely in many cases just an act of piety, but it is a obligation, a mitzvah da'iraisa, according to many Rishonim, a Torah obligation. How do we get to that place? The Mishnah tells us one word. Hevidan es kol ha'adam chavschus the entire person. You have to look at the entire person. I remember as a child, I grew up in Long Island. And in Long Island, New York, between the, we moved into a new development. Somebody told my father that religious people were going to be moving in. So he bought himself a house. He was a teacher. Lived in, we lived in Brooklyn. Bought himself a house. Stretched himself. Bought himself a house. New Orthodox community. About six months after we got there, somebody put up money and moved the community about two and a half miles away. So the shul was two and a half miles from my house. We were stuck in this. My father couldn't afford to get out of it. And that's where, that's where we grew up. It was an Italian Jewish neighborhood, not a religious neighborhood, but an Italian Jewish neighborhood. And we were the last house in the neighborhood. Between our house, and those of you that, that know New York, between our house and Jones Beach was about eight miles. Totally sand. Nothing. So in essence, we lived on Jones Beach. Now, it was an eight-mile walk to the ocean, but nevertheless, it was, this was the last house. Then, a few years later, they developed behind us, and all the Italians moved in. The Italians from the family of Costa Nostra. It was a mafia villa, village, and nice houses, not much bigger than ours, you know, upper middle class, nice houses, but the cars and the boats and the stuff that sat outside the house was unbelievable. I remember on Shabbos, we would go for walks through the neighborhood. Nothing else to do because there's no other show Shabbos people in the neighborhood. So we would walk through the, walk through the houses and, and I, would, I would always marvel. Say, wow, these people are so lucky. Look at the cars and look at the houses. Look at the things. My father used to tell me, you never know what's going on behind those doors. It all, it looks beautiful, but you never know what's going on there. And then years later, it started to come out how, you know, the, the kids were in the, in the high school, which was in the neighborhood. All the kids went to the high school and the high school was a, was a drug den. And there, were, there was suicides and there were killings and there were all kinds of crazy things going on in the neighborhood. It looked beautiful. You had no idea what was going on behind closed doors. When you look at a person you got to look at the whole person, the whole package. You, you look at a person in a vacuum. The, most often, the reason why we get upset with people is because we're looking in a vacuum. We look at the one thing that has to do where our lives inter, inter, intersect with each other. I'm looking at that, focusing on that, and that, that really ticks me off. That bothers me. But if I were to look at the whole package, what you're going through, what your life is about, who your spouse is, what your living conditions are, what your whole, the whole package, all of a sudden it looks and you look completely different. Have you done as color on Look, how many times does it happen? This one's a beautiful thing that ran around the internet of some checkout boy who was, you know, was in a supermarket who was fumbling and, and, 
and somebody laced into him. And the, the lady turns, uh, lady turns to, to, to this customer and says, do you understand what this boy's going through? And she tells him this incredible story of parents and deaths and all kinds of terrible, terrible tragedies. And then the person says, I'm so sorry. Because they didn't do what they were supposed to do. Have you done as color of them? When you look at an entire person and you know that you don't even know most of the things about that person, then it's not, it's not a work. It's not an avayda. It's not hard to give them the benefit of doubt. It's not really even giving them the benefit of doubt. It's understanding that I have no idea why they reacted that way, why they acted that way, why they do the things they do, because I don't know the whole story. There's a whole other side to this story, which I don't know. And therefore, when the Torah tells us, that we have to judge people favorably, we have to give them the benefit of the doubt, the Torah is not telling us to give them the benefit of the doubt. What the Torah is telling us is recognize that there is so much more here that's going on, you have no idea. Be humble. Be humble that you don't know everything, and then it's easy to look at the person and say, got to be another reason why they did what they did. Okay, there is a halachic aspect to this, which I'm going to probably say for another time. I don't want to spend another, another shear on it. Um, next week we'll go to the next Mishnah, but, um, but there is a, uh, there is a halachic side to this. I'll say it actually very quickly in, in 30 seconds. There are, there are really four levels of people. There are people that we know to be righteous, totally righteous. For them, it's an absolute biblical obligation to give them the benefit of the doubt. When they do something that, even though it looks wrong, even though it's wrong, we have to know that there was another reason why they did it, and you have to give them the benefit of that. When you, a person is sort of good, sort of bad, in other words, in, in a particular thing, they're, you know, they, they, they have, sometimes they're up, sometimes they're down. So there it is, a midas chasidus. It is an act of piety to give them the benefit of the doubt. When we don't know a person, we don't know one way or the other, unless we have an indication, a clear indication one way or the other, then again, it's an act of piety to give them the benefit of the doubt. And when you have a wicked person, a person who is always doing the wrong thing, so then there you are not allowed to give them the benefit of the doubt because you're not allowed to accept their behavior because then if you accept their behavior, you run the risk of it becoming part of your behavior also. That's just a, a quick rundown of the halacha. There's, I mean, I, I could give a two-hour halacha share on this, but that's a, that's a quick rundown of what the halacha is. Beautiful, beautiful.